when we think about the mental health aspect, we're thinking about what are we telling ourselves about our ability to do something or to not do something that is also leading to maybe a physical or psychosomatic symptom. So an example would be a lot of times students are coming in and they're like, I have to be able to do this, right? I'm supposed to be excellent. I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to not to fail anything. I'm supposed to be able to juggle organizations, academic um, responsibilities, uh, work. I'm supposed to be able to do all of this. Hey everyone, welcome back to Beach Weekly, a podcast created and produced by Long Beach State student-run newspaper, The Daily 49er. I'm your host, Luke Pajari. Check out our content at daily49er.com, where you can read campus and Long Beach-related news, sports, arts and life, opinions, as well as multimedia content, including more podcasts, videos, and photo galleries. Thanks to Long Beach Transit for sponsoring this episode of Beach Weekly. Right now, your longest trip is from the bedroom to the kitchen. But if you ever have to move around town, Long Beach Transit is moving you through safely. Visit ridelbt.com basics to see how transit is keeping students safe. This is your one and only podcast source for all things Long Beach State. Let's go ahead and dive right into this week's news roundup. Stay tuned afterwards for this week's Story Spotlight, where I sit down with special project editor Peter Villafagne for a conversation with Dr. Shelley Ann Collins from the psychology department. We talk about counseling and psychological services, college students' mental health, along with other topics that tie up with our special issue on health and wellness. Long Beach State Spring Athletics will resume activities starting February 15th, following approval from the Big West Board of Directors and the Long Beach Health Department. According to Athletics Director Andy Fee, the next steps include continued testing and mandatory department-wide vaccinations. Fee said the department is still planning to test athletes three times per week to ensure the safety of all members of the program. Student Health Services is already underway in screening and scheduling vaccinations. Out of the seven-stage distribution plan, student athletes are fifth on the list. Speaking of spring athletics, the Long Beach State Dirtbags are anticipating a return to Blair Field. The athletic department received approval to resume activities starting February 15th from the Long Beach Health Department. However, athletic director Andy Fee has said that no teams will begin activity until all members are vaccinated. The regular season schedule is slated to consist of a four-game weekend series against each conference opponent. Conference play is scheduled to start on March 19th versus the University of Hawaii. Long Beach State women's basketball is on fire with two big wins against UC Santa Barbara this weekend. On Friday, the beach closed out with a 61-49 win against UC Santa Barbara, and on Saturday, the beach finished even stronger with a 70-55 win against UC Santa Barbara. This keeps women's basketball on top in the Big West with a 10-0 conference record. Long Beach State will host UC Davis, the only other unbeaten team in the Big West, next weekend on Friday, February 12th and Saturday, February 13th. Both games will tip off at 4 p.m. and be broadcast on ESPN3. Long Beach State has received doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine despite being initially told by the city of Long Beach that it would only receive the Moderna vaccine. According to the Vice President of Student Affairs, Beth Lesson, the university has only received the Pfizer vaccine and expects that subsequent vaccine shipments will be the same. Long Beach State has already begun administering doses to essential personnel working on campus. More details for the vaccine process at Long Beach State can be found at csulb.edu slash onebeach 
under the Reuniting the Beach tab. In a unanimous vote, Long Beach City Council passed a new citywide agreement during its meeting last Tuesday to increase hiring of disadvantaged workers within the city. Dubbed the Project Labor Agreement, the contract helps workers like veterans, those with criminal records, or those who have not completed higher education to receive employment. A 10-year contract for the agreement has been established between the City of Long Beach and the Los Angeles and Orange County's Building and Construction Trades Council. After serving in the position for four years, Provost Brian Jerski announced last Monday that he is retiring from the role. According to President Jane Close Connolly, the search process for a new senior vice president and provost will begin as soon as possible. Jerski is offered to continue to serve in his role until his replacement is selected. He said that his projected last day as provost for Long Beach State is June 30th. Hi everyone, Luke Pajari here. Today I'm sitting down with Peter Villafanier, Special Projects Editor for the Daily 49er, along with Dr. Shelley Collins. Today we're going to be talking about Counseling and Psychological Services, otherwise known as CAPS, at CSULB. Uh, Dr. Shelley, um, what is your job title here with uh, CSULB? Hi Luke, hi Peter, thank you so much for having me. And again, yes, my name is Dr. Shelley Collins and I am at the Counseling and Psychological Services Center which is a department at Cal State Long Beach that offers therapy, whether individual or group, outreaches, consultations. So anything that you need to know in terms of mental health support and wellness. Uh, My job title is staff psychologist or licensed psychologist at CAPS. Great. Good to know. Thank you. Um, Now, what's your typical day-to-day like uh, in doing your work? Well, I mean, I would say I'm glad you asked, but Am I really that glad you asked? So my typical day goes through quite a bit. It can revolve with any of these activities. Individual therapy, which is face-to-face, one-on-one with students. Uh, Group therapy, which is that we run groups um, that meet every week, uh, one day a week, every week. And that's usually a collection of different students with multiple identities, but it's a common theme. It's notes, writing notes, sending out email, doing research. Sometimes clients come in and talk to me about medical conditions or certain kinds of additional diagnoses that they've had um, outside. And so I do research in terms of what are these medical diagnoses? How does it relate to my client? And how does it relate to how I will maybe be uh, putting together a therapeutic uh, package to help them? Sometimes it looks like workshops, outreaches, or planning. So on the Cal State campus, we liaison with multiple departments, as well as we provide workshops for classes and courses on different things like stress, uh, suicide prevention, healthy relationships. And so, of course, I am doing research in terms of putting those PowerPoints or slide decks together and then connecting with the various uh, people to kind of put it on. I'm also working sometimes with campus leadership and doing things that have to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right now, I'm on an equity task force uh, where we do stuff like that. Uh, We're doing drop-in spaces. And so I have drop-in spaces in where students who are not a CAPS client can just drop in to get a consult from a therapist. 
And so it's either like a let's talk space, a black talk, talk space or a queer talk space. And then we do consultations, uh, build resources, do referrals. So you can see, right? It's any number of those things. And sometimes it's a little bit of each thing daily. Now, can you tell us like more specifically um, what CAPS uh, does and what it offers to students? Absolutely. So when a student, uh, well, we do a lot of things on our social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, as well as on our website. But when a student, say, for instance, uh, is interested in seeking support, mental health support, or a teacher or another friend may say, hey, why don't you kind of seek some mental health support or find out about um, some information that you may not have, then they can either call or number, which is 562-985-4001, and make an appointment to see a therapist or a clinical counselor, or they can just either walk in when we were able to walk in um, to make an appointment. So if they want, they can make an appointment for a one-on-one -on -one individual counseling session, or they can make an appointment for a group counseling sessions or they can drop in to the multiple different therapy groups or drop-in groups that we offer. Or if they want help connecting with somebody else off campus. So for instance, they have, um, they, they prefer to go to a therapist or a counselor off campus. We also help them do that as well. Or if they want to, they run a student organization and they want to have a, a presentation or a workshop then they can come in as well. And so um, moving on to um, more specifically the theme of the special issue coming up, um, it is going to be all about health and wellness. And I kind of chose to go at it from an angle of holistic wellness and the importance of mental as well as physical health. Um, so could you speak to the importance of mental health to a person's like, overall wellness? You know, this is something like I did my dissertation on and where there was a connection between physical health and mental health. And the truth of it is, is that we know this. Research has also shown, I mean, there is now current research that shows that it's not just mental health connecting to physical health, but also to heart health. And so, but even though we do know this, why is it that there is not, there's not a lot of holistic um, value or even activity in pulling together both. And so what, what does show us is that when we're stressed, we manufacture cortisol. And cortisol is actually really big in the weathering effects. And weathering effects means more aging, um, reduced immune, immune system to be able to deal with uh, different viruses or bacteria. It also uh, talks about fatigue. You know, it, it, it just makes us feel like, yeah, when you, when you notice that rain has kind of beaten down on a wooden um, railing, you see what it looks, right? That's the weathering effect. And so cortisol or stress, um, having a lot of activities or a lot of stimuli, but not enough resources is what actually brings us into this kind of weathering pattern. So when we think about the mental health aspect, we're thinking about what are we telling ourselves about our ability to do something or to not do something that is also leading to maybe a physical or psychosomatic symptom. 
So an example would be a lot of times students are coming in and they're like, I have to be able to do this, right? I'm supposed to be excellent. I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to not to fail anything. I'm supposed to be able to juggle organizations, academic um, responsibilities, uh, work. I'm supposed to be able to do all of this. And if there is some vulnerabilities or this inability to kind of have all the resources to juggle these things, then you don't normally say, oh, well, I need to get more resources or I need to get more help. What do we normally say to ourselves is you should be able to do it. What's wrong with you? Why are you not being able to do it? And so it's this repetition of being critical and kind of bullying the kind of thoughts that you're telling yourself, the inability to kind of ask for help because of what you think it might be that, that leads to physical, sometimes physical distress. And you might see symptoms like belly aches, headaches, you know, in this, in this most severe case, you'll see things in terms of a blood disorder or even kind of uh, blindness, sometimes semi-blindness. So these are all physical symptoms that are manifested due to psychological distress. Yeah, I didn't know um, it could uh, be at that extent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, most mm -hmm. people don't, yeah, most people don't know this. I I've had clients too that will come in because they're fainting all the time or they're losing, right? The blood is um, kind of rushing down there be times and they're not even sure they've gone to the doctor. They've got, they've got neuro neurological scans, um, CD scans, everything. And um, they come back and they're like, well, the doctor thinks it might be psychological. And they're like, I don't think it can be. And I'm like, it actually can be. And even though you may even see something show up in your blood, it can reach that far because the truth of it is, is that we don't even know the capacity of our brain, which is equal to like the capacity of our mind, what we tell ourselves. We see miracles or we've heard of miracles, right? Which is that doctors will say, you can't do this, but you hear about the person who really believes in themselves and that they recovered faster or they were able to get it. And so that's what we mean is that the mind is really strong in terms of how, you know, what you tell it, what you believe can, can look, um, can kind of look detrimental to yourself if what you're believing is negative, if what you're saying all the time is something negative. Mm -hmm. That's something really important to understand today too with um, a lot of, you know, people, um, especially younger people, they have access to so much information and um, things that can, you know, pretty, pretty much weigh down the mind as well. Um, so being aware of things like that and uh, resources to help is, is really important right now. Yes, limiting um, the kind of consumption, right? Limiting the social media or the information consumption because you also recognize that when you're feeling like weird or different, you, you go on Google, okay, what's all of this? What am I looking at? If there's something that you're not sure of, you go and you get more information. And sometimes more information isn't actually really helpful. Sometimes more information just gives you more to be anxious about and so that's the balance you know how do you know and that's yeah hard. speaking of uh young people or young people people my age. like us we are young <laughs> yeah exactly um or uh college students specifically have you found that there are um like mental health issues that are common among college students or show up more in college students as opposed to other age groups 
Yeah, so I want to remind us that college students can look like a, a wide range of age categories because, I mean, so typical college students are out of high school, so they're between the ages of 18 and, say, 26, right? That's typical um, what, we, we, what we think about when we think about college students, young emerging adults or young adults. However, we know that they run the gamut, right? So from 18, from the from the Doogie Hauser, and I don't know if you guys, if that's a, a reference that shows my age, right? But from the the tiny, from the very young, smart person um, that's not even 15 or 16 to the very um, geriatric, you know, which is uh, over 60, and they're going back for another degree or so. However, taking all of that into consideration. What we do know is that there are uh, factors that will affect people in college different than someone who's not in college. So think about it. You know, you have financial stress. We all kind of, right, some of us do. Uh, some of us have added on relational stress, whether it be family relationships or romantic relationships. Then, you know, if you're working, there's also that work stress and, you know, the kind of thing with your boss. But when you're also a college student, you have academic stress because now you're, you have all of this other stuff, but now you also have this academic responsibility that you need to, to deliver. And you have this future, future outlook stress, which is what am I going to do when I graduate or what, you know, what am I going to do when this is all over? And then if you add to it that you're also working on campus or you're also running organizations or in leadership um, capabilities or you're an athlete, then now you have ramped up more and more and more of additional stress. So you have the regular ones, which is microaggressions, you know, living in kind of um, a society in where there is a lack of power and privilege just regularly anyway. And then on top of it, if you are in a relationship, you have that. Uh, if you are a student and you're also living with your family, you have not only the family stress, but you also have the academic stress. And then if you're working, you have the work stress. So these are things that are, are unique to college students because most people who are not in school and not in organizations and not, you know, they, they don't have that additional stress, that additional expectation. And so you have that on top of it, that layered approach, which makes mm -hmm. it harder. And then I think another layer that it's been added, you know, since last year has been the pandemic. And um, Inside Higher Ed published a piece uh, last summer where um, they were citing a CDC survey um, that found that um, of the around 5,000 people they surveyed, 41% um, reported at least one negative mental health issue or increased substance abuse uh, to cope with stress. 11% said they had seriously considered suicide the month of uh, June, mm -hmm. um, but 25% of people between the ages 18 and 24 said they had seriously considered suicide. Um, what, so are, is it these factors that also contribute to this, you know, the uh, suicide rate? So absolutely, the pandemic, the pandemic has contributed even way more because that is something that no one saw coming the stay at home, not everything moving remotely, losing your job. I mean, this was something that was unprecedented. So definitely um, additional, almost exponential layers of stress. Now, when it, comes, when it comes to the statistics, yes, there has been 
their young adulthood, there has been a rise in suicidality. And in fact, um, we can even do a, a breakdown uh, versus race or ethnic group. And then outside of young adulthood, actually older adults, um, males, have a higher um, risk for suicide. What causes, you know, what are, we can look at what are the risk factors and what is sometimes the etiology? You know, where is it coming from? Why is it, why is it manifesting? Well, young adults are going through a developmental stage in where there are certain goals and objectives that Eric Erickson talks about or Piaget talks about uh, developmentally that you go. So for instance, when you're in high school, you're trying to kind of figure out your identity. You know, who am I really going to be? When you're a young adult, there's another developmental stage. So that's, that's on top of it. Could you uh, remind us of uh, a couple of phone numbers you mentioned, the one to set the um, mental health appointments and then the crisis number? Yeah, so they're both the same, thank goodness. Oh, so okay. you only have to write, you only have to remember one number, 562-985-4001. And that number, when it's after hours, you would just, it tells you which number to press. And I, I believe it's press two when it's after hours and you get connected to crisis. But uh, during, but during uh, eight to five, there'll be somebody to answer that line. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they are not going to make me a liar. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you. Um, is there anything uh, we haven't asked about that um, you think is important for our listeners to know? Uh, you know, you asked a lot of things and I'm actually wondering if I talked too much. So sorry, listeners. <laughs> Uh, hopefully you think my voice was nice and soothing. Oh, by the way, I go into a very nice and soothing voice when I do. So I want you to check out our website. We actually have a very good website now um, that Alexandra, Alexandra Pan, which is our premier outreach coordinator and the person who's in charge of Project Ocean, along with Gloria Flores, who's in charge of Beach Buddies has created that has all these resources that CAPS provides, including links to self-care apps. Netflix, I think, has Headspace on it. I've heard really great things mm-hmm. about Netflix's Headspace. That's also an app that you can put on your mobile device, as well as Stop, Breathe, and Think, which is helpful for mindfulness. You know, when you start your mindfulness, you start at two minutes or three minutes and then work your way up. We're here. So, you know, any questions or concerns, like there is a space that you can drop in and ask any of these questions. We're here for you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shelley, uh, for sitting down and talking with us. You're welcome. I hope I did answer your questions um, fully and thoroughly. Thank you for having me. Yes, definitely. It was great to meet you. To you too. And now? Here's Peter Villafagne discussing body positivity with body positive influencers. Hello, everyone. I'm Special Projects Editor Peter Villafagne, and this is Beach Weekly. It's Special Issue Week, and this week is all about health and wellness. Part of physical and mental health is body image, which is why I'll be talking to three special guests today who know all about what it means to be confident in one's body. I'm here with Dee Johnson, Kim Holmes, and Carlene Cruz. Why don't we all take some time to introduce ourselves quickly? Um, can we start with Dee? Hello, my name is DeVoe, but you can call me Dee. I've been a model for about seven years now. I'm local to Long Beach area. Hi, my name is Kim. I'm a model and a student, and I'm local to like LA, OC area. I'm pretty um, open 
and I've been modeling for about a year and a half now. Hi, my name is Carlene Cruz. Um, you also know me as Kitty Cash on Instagram. Um, I do some modeling. I haven't been doing it for so long, just about eight months. Um, and I'm also a nurse assistant. So to start, let's define what body image is. It's how an individual perceives their physical appearance. And according to psychology today, it's the mental representation of an individual creates of themselves, but it may or may not bear any relation to how one actually appears. Um, and poor body image can lead to or be a symptom of mental distress. It can be influenced by many factors. So let's talk about those factors. Body shaming can affect your body image. I would say most people know what body shaming is, even if they aren't familiar with the term. Um, how would you all define body shaming and what, if any, um, experiences do you have with it? There's been a large range for me. Probably it's been from people making comments about my stretch marks, making comments just about the fact that either they feel I'm not full figured enough to that I'm too, too fat. It's such a, it's childish, <laughs> which is sad because there are so many different body types out there and it's about time the world is okay with all of them because everyone has a curve, everyone has a figure, whether or not you're a size zero or you're a size 22, you have figure and you have curves and we need to mm -hmm. stop beating each other up, beating other people up saying, oh, well, they're not full figure. Oh, they're too skinny. They're too this. And it's just like, hey, everyone has their own thing. Leave them alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Everybody was made differently, you know, and we got to just accept it and love them for how they are. Yeah, especially when sometimes we get into the whole racial thing, they'll be like, oh, well, all black girls look this way, all Asians, all his. And it's like, no, we're all different. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Stop trying to put us in this small little bitty box. Let us be free. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you say it's external, like other people? Um, is it also internal, both? I think it's a little both. Because then when it's more internal, you're having, like, a war with yourself. And you're trying to defeat, like, all these generali generalizations that you have about yourself and, like, what society thinks is normal. And then it's more external because, you know, it's the way we look. And everybody, everybody's first impression of someone is just the way they look, how they present themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So just as long as like you own what you have, you should be fine. Yeah, I feel for me and my experience with body shaming, it's sad because it has it started from other people body shaming me to myself, like body shaming myself because of what people would say about my weight, which I'm um, which I think body shaming can happen to skinny people, medium people, big people. And but in my case, I'm bigger. I'm a chunkier girl, um, if you want to call it that. And um, I had people make fun of me of being chunky. Um, and because of that, then I start looking at myself like, oh, my God, yeah, I need to lose weight and maybe I should eat this and or maybe I shouldn't eat this kind of starve myself so I can lose weight you know so that's I feel like has been my experience with body shaming. Speaking of that has the shaming uh, led any of you to make any changes to your body to your you know health uh, eating routines? Yeah like um, I've been really conscious of what I eat especially since I started modeling with, for a little bit a while ago it's just that everybody has like a certain look they're going for especially like clothing brands so you just have to be like conscious of that. But doesn't mean where you should fit yourself to like a certain standard. 
just at least make sure you're like good enough for you and like what your own standards for yourself you know yeah I would I have to agree with that it's just do what fits for you don't compare yourself to somebody else and their metabolism like some people will look at me and be like oh well she probably doesn't eat that much and it's like yeah I eat like a horse (laughs) (laughs) but I also do a lot of physical activity so I need that much Mm -hmm. energy that much protein and things like that so you gotta program it to you yeah um I feel like in my case, I was very, at one point, very obsessed with my weight. So, and it was so unhealthy and everybody knew it. It was so obvious because I would be like, one person says one comment about me looking a little heavier or something. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can't eat this today. I have to like starve myself for three days and I have to go on this like crazy workout routine, you know? Um, So I feel like, yeah, it has made me do some crazy like diets and workout routines um, in the past. Now I'm more accepting of my weight and I actually like just, you know, I love myself for how I am. Of course, I want to make sure I'm healthy for myself and for my family and my friends and those who care for me. But yeah, I used to be so obsessed with my weight, like just so unhealthy. Yeah. Speaking of uh, kind of the obsession with the weight. According to the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, body shaming perpetuates the idea that people should be judged mainly for their physical features. They say it's a form of bullying and they suggest practicing self-love to help overcome it. Um, are there ways that have helped you overcome or ignore or be less affected by body shaming? Me personally, it it took a big change because when I was probably 2009, I weighed 118 pounds. So that was the smallest I ever was in my life because my mother was very strict about her eating. So before I left my house, I was super skinny. And now I'm 165. So I'm a lot heavier than I was. So for a while, it, it took me a minute because I would compare myself, compare it to myself. Like, oh, crap of what I used to look like probably people want to shoot me looking like that because I was a lot skinnier and I had to look myself in the face in the mirror and say you know what you are good enough just how you are now why are you destroying yourself why are you putting yourself down is it because of what society or what you're looking at and then I had to also look at what I was looking at what was I who was I following on my Instagram who was I following on my Facebook what was I watching what was I listening to to make sure I wasn't feeding that that seed of doubt in myself and that helped me gain that confidence in myself and also work with people who wanted to shoot with me or my body type not because they thought oh she looks like she's a size two haha psych size 11 guys (laughs) that's how for me it was that's how I came back and owned who I am I guess for me it's just like when I started modeling I started loving myself more just because like it was just a really rough time for me when I started and I just needed like a distraction so then when I started, I'm just like, wow, I'm actually kind of good at this, you know? And then over time, you start knowing what works for you. And then you start, like, realizing, oh, wow, I can do a lot better than I thought I could, you know? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, I feel like for me, my issue was because I was bullied when I was younger and I was so obsessed with my weight, I would try to look for love I guess but I didn't realize that that love should come from me I thought it should come from somebody which is why I would like unhealthily 
get into relationship after relationship. And um, after my last relationship, which was about four years ago, um, I told myself, you know what? I really need to work on myself because I am very insecure and I'm very unhappy and all that unhappiness made me isolate myself. I had no hobbies. I had no ambition. So I said, I need to stop jumping from relationship to relationship because that love that I'm looking for is not going to come from somebody else. It has to come from me. And I don't know who I am yet. And that's what I need to figure out in order to love myself how I am. So after that relationship, um, I went to school, I graduated college, I got my bachelor's in media communications, and I just started finding hobbies. Like I like to do makeup, I like to meditate, yoga and all that stuff. And then recently with my modeling. So now that I kind of found myself, that's when I was open to just, I'm like, damn, like, shit, look at me. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I can say that. Yeah, that's <laughs> but fine. I'm like, I'm like, look at me, like I'm striving. I have so much more to offer. And it's honestly not the shell of me that's important. It's what I have to offer and like to inspire others with my story. So that's when I became like, started loving myself is just working on myself as a person let's go into talking more about uh body positivity it's been a buzzword for a while um but some people argue that body neutrality might be a better mindset and that the idea of being overwhelmingly positive can end up kind of putting pressure on people what do you all think about that do you choose to focus more on positivity neutrality um, and if it's positivity, how have you stayed positive? That's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I got to think about that for a second. Well, like, I feel like, at least for me, just the way I am, I try to be body positive, but, like, it's so hard to be positive all the time, you know? And, you know, we all have this, like, insecurities about our own body. And I know for me, especially, like, if I'm modeling, right? And then if I turn a certain way, I see this little backpack. So I just have to be very wary of the, my positioning. So I guess whenever I think of that, I just try to cancel it out. Like, hey, you know, that doesn't look good. I mean, but this does, you know, so I can switch it up. And so I guess in that sense, I'm just training my mind that like, you know, I shouldn't think so down on myself. Like, think I'm okay. I'm good. And, and I guess in that sense, I'm body neutral. Um, I'm more, I feel like I'm neutral because if you go to my Instagram, which I mainly use my Instagram, um, for my modeling and stuff, um, which I always want my modeling to be inspiring and creative. I don't want it to just be like, oh, I put this outfit on, take a picture of me. That's it. You know? Um, and I feel like it's more neutral because I, more positive than like a downer, I guess you can say. Um, I try to be as positive as I can but it's neutral because that I put in the negative too like my negative stories but how I over I add like how I overcame those negatives and it's okay that things don't go okay all the time you know um but it's always best to just um look ahead and be like okay this is a bump in the road but I'm gonna look at the positive outcome of it but I feel like you're your lows are also like strengths because then you grew from that, you know? Probably when I first started out, I'd say I was mainly positive and I've gone more neutral. 
but that's probably just overall for emotions and also body things because I understand that putting too much positivity in something that yeah it can cause a pressure because not all the time are you going to want to feel happy sometimes it's okay to be angry it's okay to be sad to be depressed to be like screw all (laughs) y'all okay (laughs) sometimes you just need that (laughs) because you had a tough day or you could just be having a tough week it's okay (laughs) it's okay to accept that and I feel like society has made it where it's a little too much of happy 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 and it's like no there are dark times there are bad times there are happy times and we have to understand that that's normal that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of beach weekly thank you all for being here and being so open and vulnerable um yeah we really appreciate you uh sharing your stories and taking time out of your day to talk to us um thank you I'm Peter Villafagne. Check out our wellness issue for more stories about health and the way people take care of themselves. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Long Beach Transit misses seeing you on the bus, pretending to study while you listen to this podcast instead. Until the day comes when you're riding on the regular, visit ridelbt.com basics to see how transit is keeping you safe. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Beach Weekly. This is your host, Luke Pajari, signing off. Take care, guys.